Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I've known, and four films up for review this week, starting off with the new rom-com Bros, and then it's Blonde, which is the Marilyn Monroe biopic, then it's Hocus Pocus 2, which is a sequel to the classic Disney film, and finally God's Creatures. First up is Bros, and I have been very worried about overhyping myself for this movie, and that I'd be setting it up for failure, and that it couldn't live up to these expectations that I was setting for it, and I'm very pleased to report that I had a wonderful time at the movie. It's a romantic comedy, and as you may have heard from the marketing or all the stuff around it, it is a gay romantic comedy. Oh my god, shocking. <gasps> Grasp at pearls, etc, etc. No, it's... I think the thing I like the most about it is that, yes, it very much follows the romantic comedy tropes. It is not reinventing the wheel here. There's some sort of discourse over whether or not it is. I think because it so closely follows this formula that anyone who's seen a rom-com pretty much knows. Uh, you know, it's it's not reinventing, but it is bringing forth representation. And so, of course, the big change with this one is that instead of a heteronormative relationship, it is two guys who are the, the main couple involved. And... You know, I think it is certainly helpful to have an understanding of queer culture and especially like gay male culture. And if you have friends who are in the community or, you know, are a member of that community yourself, there are going to be a lot of extra jokes that land very, very well for you and you will chuckle and laugh out loud at. I think if you are less familiar with those groups, you're still going to laugh and you're still going to have a good time because it's still a romantic comedy. And uh, this is assuming you enjoy rom-coms, of course. If you don't, then this is not going to be for you. But... You know, I, I like that it wasn't just like, okay, cool, we'll just like swap another guy in and then they'll behave exactly the same way a heteronormative couple would. No, it acknowledges and incorporates relationship dynamics that feel realistic to characters who would exist in this world and who would be, you know, gay men, basically. Uh, it, there's a ton of representation in it. I, I will say couple quick notes on it so Billy Eichner co-wrote it he stars in it I'm a big Billy Eichner fan I love Billy on the street I, I think he's very very funny he may be getting in his own way a little bit by playing himself it feels like a very or semi-autobiographical film and you know he's a good actor but there are some of the more dramatic moments that I feel like might have been punched up if he wasn't playing himself I understand why he played himself this feels like a very personal film and it would be very hard to give away to somebody else but then you have the same sort of issue with his love interest who's played by Luke McFarlane who I think I've only seen in Lifetime movies and I think maybe like a RuPaul film um but Luke McFarlane plays his love interest he's you know very bro-y football-y looking dude but his acting chops are limited to a certain scope. And again, I, I still had a great time at the movie, but it could have gone from uh, hilarious, fun, whatever, to legendary if it maybe had people who approached the acting performances from a different angle. And I, I, the other thing I will say is the character of Bobby, who is played by Billy Eichner, is a bit self-absorbed. And let's be honest, most rom-com protagonists are, but there are times where his cynicism maybe feels a little too much. And some of the, the you know, they're, all, they're trying to infuse this with queer history and, and not make it a lesson per se, but at least have some educational parts in it. And I think sometimes his cynicism gets in the way of the vibe of the movie. And that's not to say that you shouldn't include these parts, but it, it struggles a little bit to balance those things. 
Again, I just I have to put it out there, but overall, I had a delightful time. It's a very R-rated comedy. I think the last time I laughed this hard at a comedy like this in a theater because of pandemic, etc., was it, it, it reminds me of Bridesmaids. And Bridesmaids is a film I went to see with a bunch of friends from like various backgrounds, and you know, our whole row was laughing, and it was just it was just really pleasant and warm and and fun to experience in a group. And I was thinking about, hey, would you know, is there a world in which you should wait to see this on you know, streaming or whatever it is? But I think there is something about seeing a movie like this in a communal setting. It's any rom-com, any comedy, any good rom-com and comedy. There's just something about the electricity in the air when other people are laughing. And it feels like it makes it a safe space to laugh. And I don't think we've had enough laughter in the last however many years. So, bros, I had a very fun time. And again, at the end of the day, it's it's a rom-com. And uh, I am secretly a sucker for rom-coms. So if you like rom-coms, go see it. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. I'm going to take a quick break and be right back. And I'm back. The next film I have is called Blonde and it is out on Netflix and it is a biopic about Marilyn Monroe. And this was this was a tough one to watch. You know, I I heard great things and I try not to listen to other reviews before I watch something myself because, you know, I don't want to be influenced by it. But oh my God, this was a slog for me. Ana de Armas plays Marilyn Monroe and there are many times where she looks what I, I think Marilyn Monroe looks like. And I'm sure if I did a side by side, I'd be like, eh, more or less, you know, but uh, she just, Ana de Armas definitely has a screen magnetism. It is not the same screen magnetism that Marilyn Monroe has. I think there is a reason that Marilyn Monroe was Marilyn Monroe and we haven't had that type of person since. And it's very tough because they just, I, I could not stand this portrayal of her. I don't know a ton about the real Marilyn Monroe, so I don't know how accurate this was to what she was actually like as a person. But I just found this film uh, nearly unwatchable. It slogs along. It's almost three hours long. I think the number one way I would describe this film is self-indulgent. And there are a lot of choices. So the, the, it's not even necessarily a story. It's more vignettes. And I think there are some movies that can get away with it. This doesn't. Also, it feels very exploitative, which is ironic considering it's a film about Marilyn Monroe. But there's just a bunch of scenes in which Anna de Arm- or Marilyn, the character, or whatever you want to call it, you know, isn't wearing clothes. And it doesn't feel like it enhances the story. It just feels like the director was like, oh, you know, she's going to take her top off here. And, and I think there's a world in which, you know, it could be a commentary on the way that uh, Marilyn Monroe was sexualized and all these things. But this just feels like a hot mess and, again, exploitative. You know, this, if there's not a story reason, why are you doing this? I think Marilyn Monroe's screen persona, it was, seems very bubbly, seems very pleasant, all these things. I get it. That is not who she was necessarily as a person. But this film goes so far in the other direction to be like, she's a victim, she's a victim. Or at least that's what it feels like they're trying to say she's a victim. And that's not to say she was not a victim. She definitely went through some things that seem like she's a victim of, of circumstance, of exploitation in the studio system, you know, the the way men treated women and uh, just warning about like sexual assault. So I get it. But the and there's a way to tell it in a compelling way, but this film does not do it. It just it uh, it made me not like Marilyn Monroe. Not that I like had a, a feeling about her one way or another, but I I just I 
was repulsed by this presentation of it. And and again, I just think like Ana de Armas was really miscast. You have Adrian Brody playing Arthur Miller, which uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what Arthur Miller was like as a person either. You have Bobby Cannavale as Joe DiMaggio. That one, uh, that casting felt fine. I was like, all right, that that kind of tracks for me. You know, you've got the guy who plays JFK. I, I just, I was like, what is happening here? Like, you're not, you know, I get it that it's tough because with a character like JFK as well, you know, there's a lot of caricatures of him. But, you know, I just, I'm losing my words. I cannot in good conscience recommend this movie to anyone, even probably for Marilyn Monroe enthusiasts, because this might make you dislike her in a way I did. And, you know, there's this... Oh, cheap filmmaking of superimposing her into you know actual movies that Marilyn Monroe was in and the whole thing at best felt like a slog and at worst made me want to crawl out of my skin so it's a 1.3 out of 5 for me for Blonde and then next up I have Hocus Pocus 2 which is out on Disney plus and I'm gonna make a confession here I did not grow up and or am not a huge Hocus Pocus person I think partially to the first film's credit because it was a little spooky when I first saw it and I'm not a scary movie person and so I was like no thank you this is not for me I I think I recall like every once in a while I had you know if you had a substitute teacher during October they'd wheel in the the VCR yes that's how old I am and they'd put on a movie and it'd be like hocus pocus and everyone else would be excited and I would be I would go no I don't want this but Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy are all back as the Sanderson sisters. You know, Doug Jones is back, which is fun. You've also got the addition of Hannah Waddingham and Sam Richardson, Tony Hale, and then this new generation of teens, essentially, with Whitney Peake, Lilia Buckingham, and Belissa Escobedo. And this film is not reinventing the wheel, much like Bros does not reinvent the rom-com. You know, I think there's a fair amount of fan service in it. I think one of the challenges with a sequel to something that is so beloved, like Hocus Pocus, is that you're never going to live up to the original. It's very unlikely that you're going to live up to the original. And sometimes it feels like a bit of a cash grab. And this feels not only just like a cash grab, but also a lot of product placement e marketing opportunities, which didn't feel like they serviced the story you know there's a lot of humor around some of the modern technologies or if you've seen some of the trailers or ads there's a whole like Swiffer product placement thing instead of a broom for one of them and I was just like oh this feels icky to me this is why this movie is getting made also because people love the first one and very few people seem to be interested in making original films these days it just lacked some of the joy and creativity and scariness, ironically, of the original Hocus Pocus. Also, it pretty much requires you to have seen the first one, which I think is fine for a movie like this because there's a good chance, in fact, there's a probably almost 100% chance that you will have seen the first one going into the second one because this is not a sequel you'd be like, I'm going to check out two without having seen one. So... For those fans, it's not going to be a problem. And since those are going to be the majority of fans, you know, it's great. Most of the joy, I think, of it is in the callbacks to the original one. And I rewatched the original one closer to, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is actually a pretty good movie. And then watching this one, I was like, oh, this is a Xerox copy of a pretty good movie. So with that in mind, if you were going to watch it, you were going to watch it anyway, just Temper your expectations accordingly. If you were not going to watch it or you didn't know what Hocus Pocus was, I would recommend watching the original Hocus Pocus. And then you can move on to two if you really feel like it. But I think one will scratch that itch for you or re-watching one. I did enjoy the addition of the new actors. You know, I love Tony Hale. I love Hannah Waddingham. Anthony Richards, but underutilized is what I would say. And then as for the teens, they're fine. I do like that it is, you know, female-led this time. And I've... 
I've never heard virgin said so many times in movies that are Disney movies. I was like, oh, wow, these are really obsessed with this concept. Good luck explaining that to younger audiences. But I guess these are not really, I mean, I, I don't know what age one would watch this at. I probably watched it too young, which is why I wasn't a huge fan and, and or was scared. But lacks some of the spookiness, definitely lacks some of the originality. It's 100% fan service and there's nothing wrong with that. But just know that going into it. I'm going to give it a three out of five. The last film I have this week is called God's Creatures and it's really the story of family. It takes place in a small fishing village. Emily Watson plays uh, this sort of mother who is not just mother to her family but seems to be sort of like a town mother in some senses. Paul Mescal plays her son who is returned from being abroad from a while. Asseline Francoise, I'm probably saying her name wrong, I'm so sorry, plays a woman who lives in the town and Basically, uh, something bad happens and it becomes a question of uh, whose side are you on and where do your loyalties lie? And I got to say, it's a very slow burn, like a very, very slow burn. I think Emily Watson is a spectacular actress. Uh, You know, if it had just been her, I would have been like, great, I'm on board anyway. But the fact that Paul Mescal was in it too, I was like, great, I'm in. And I think the most painful slash accurate thing about this movie is the way in which Uh, people behave towards victims especially when victims are women so uh, you know I think it's a very accurate portrayal of that and then some things happen that makes this film this uh, you know if it had just been that I and and it's well done in in that regard uh, I would be like okay whatever but then the end the last third of this movie is really really strong the problem is the first two thirds are slow and like a little tough to get through and so it doesn't necessarily incentivize getting to that last third but I do think well this is what reviews exist for right to tell you like no 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 stick with it Um, it's not a film I would recommend for everyone but I think if you like sort of family drama and that sort of psychological aspect of it I think I saw it built as a psychological thrill and I was like "Mm, not really but you know there is definitely a a sense of um, tension and again Emily Watson is truly just really good in this she is spectacular and then Paul Mescal is also very good in it it makes me very sad because you know I I think he's a great actor it's just this character is so far from what you know normal people which is something I absolutely love him and I'm like oh okay you I mean you're good at playing the morally ambiguous all right fine dang it uh yeah but I think you have to be in a certain mindset you know be in like a mentally safe space in order to watch it but it's worth it for the performances alone and then uh, the last third is is I think is a great payoff So because of the unevenness, I'm going to give it overall a 3.6 out of 5. That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.